Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I am joined this morning by Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill and I are working our way through a series of leadership lessons that we're learning from the life of David. Bill, welcome back. Well, thank you, and uh, welcome to uh, uh, a world of darkness. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say. I was asking Paul if you could send a picture. Of what that looks like. I could, like. I could. I could use my phone and take a picture, but the, the the flash would flash and then you wouldn't really know. I mean, I'm just, it's a, the only the only light where I am there. So the Comrex, which for those um, for those listening who don't know sort of the technology that we operate on, um, because I'm in Nashville or outside of Nashville and uh, and the studio is obviously in the Twin Cities. Uh, St. Paul on the campus of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. A little shout out to our uh, to our parent. Um, uh, and so I use this thing called a Comrex, and it's I don't know it's well now that now that cell phones have gotten so much bigger. I was going to say it's like three or four times the size of a cell phone, but now it, if you have one of those giant Samsungs with the big screen, it's like half the size of a tablet or twice the size of a big cell phone. And the microphone plugs into the back of it, and my headphones plug in, and the and the Ethernet plugs in. It has a little screen that's about the size of a cell phone screen. I have the light from that. Oh, okay. So there is a little bit of light. <laughs> well, and there's the and there's the like seam of light that comes between my little barn doors, which are the soundproofing uh, behind which I'm now standing, and the window on the other side in my uh, in my little studio. So I have like a seam of morning light coming through the corner of the room, and then I have the light from the equivalent of a cell phone. Uh, on the desk. Okay. See, I couldn't. Which ha- means you're going to have to carry the conversation this morning um, in terms of what we're reading from First Samuel 19 because okay. I right. can't see my Bible. Okay. So let's <laughs> let's start with the Vikings, and then we'll move to the twins. <laughs> talk about broken vows. All you got to do is talk about the Vikings, right? And 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 you you understand the whole concept of broken vows. So that, right. so that, see, that was a joke, twin, right? That was a, a joke. That's a Twin Cities reference, yeah. right? That's it a is. football reference. It you know, is. Sometimes, sometimes we have to tell people what we're talking about because not everybody listening lives in the Twin Cities. And so they're like, the Vikings, like, is he talking about the marauders of old who drove in boats and, and burned their people on funeral pyres at sea? Is that what he's talking about? No, no. He's talking about a football team in the Twin Cities. Yes. Right? Yes. And they have broken their vow? <laughs> to win, yes. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, well, you know, let's let's not do the Vikings. Let's do David. <clears throat> let's do David and Saul and all that's going on here. So this is this is part of the leadership lessons. It's actually part nine of a long series that I have posted here at Bible and Business. And the, and the, uh, the title of it, The Test of the Broken Vow, we're in 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 to 18. I won't read the whole thing. But the the concept, not the concept, but but the summary is that Saul is mad at David, uh, and Saul tells Jonathan uh, and his attendants to go kill David. Jonathan steps up to Saul. Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan steps up to Saul and basically speaks well of David and gets Saul to change his mind about killing David and instead uh, restores the relationship between them. David is brought back to Saul. He is once again in his personal service as he was before. And then war breaks out. David is sent uh, to uh, take care of the conflict. He does so in a stellar fashion, comes back, and Saul once again becomes very angry and distrustful, paranoid of David, as it were. And he again tries to kill him. 
and David runs away, I think for the last time here, he goes to Samuel at Ramah, and uh, and David is trying to find some place to hide from Saul while Saul is continuing to try to kill him. Saul has obviously broken his vow to David to not kill him. And that's where I pick up and I say, as Christian business owners, how do we handle ourselves when people break their vows to us? Because it is going to happen. And in a larger context, how do you and I and everybody listening here, how do we handle it when people break their vows to us, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in uh, uh, in business, whether it's in uh, a- another venue such as employment or maybe it's uh, it's even in the NFL and football where we pay a lot of money for tickets and and they lose, you know, something like that. And I, I'm being facetious on the last point. but uh, So I think that when um, – let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd like us to distinguish between maybe um, the concept of a promise – and uh, a contract and a vow. Like when we when we have these conversations about words, um, maybe we could maybe we could talk a little bit about. Well, gosh, I make um, I make commitments or I make promises, and some of those, you know, I'm going to like keep to the best of my ability. But when we're talking about vows, we're talking about you know something that's at a different level, or you know, the level of an oath, and and then maybe when we're talking about uh, entering into contracts with business, we can we could sort of have a conversation about what that looks like. Does that sound Does that sound like a good direction to go? Oh, sure, yeah. All right, we're going to do that right. uh, That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm talking with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com about the leadership lessons we can learn from the life of David. So if you've ever uh, taken a vow, if you've ever made a vow, you know the um, intensity of that moment. You know how seriously you are considering the words. We have all seen, um, you know, members of Congress. We've certainly seen the president of the United States make a vow and a pledge. It's a it's a pledge of sacred honor. I'm talking with uh, Bill English this morning from BibleandBusiness.com about the vo- the vows that uh, King Saul made and then broke and the impact that that has uh, not only in his relationship with David, but on our understanding of leadership. And so, Bill, let's uh, let's return to the definition sure. here. What what is a vow? So a vow is a solemn promise. It's a pledge. It's a personal commitment to uh, achieve a goal or to take one or more actions it, or to not take action, as, as it might be. The vow is really dependent upon the character of the person making the vow, all right? That's the, the goodness or the richness of the vow is entirely dependent upon the character of the person making the vow. Uh, the promise is just the pragmatic outworking of that. The promise is I, I promise to do this or that or I promise not to do this or that. And then you'd ask about what's the difference between a vow promise and a contract. The contract is just the legal form of the promise. Again, the contract is only as good as the people behind the contract. So in a sense, it's a legal writing down of a vow, so to speak. Uh, but that's how I would differentiate between those three. And, you know, there was a point in time, this is still true in lots of places, yeah. In lots of relationships where, you know, your handshake, right, that's that's sort of the ceiling of the of the promise. Like, right. That is the contract. Uh, we shook hands. We agreed. Um, and that's enough. We don't need a written document between the two of us because I trust you. Right? right. I trust you to keep the promise that you've made or to fulfill the agreement that we've made. 
Um, but we seem to have moved in our culture to a time when almost everything is written down and legally contractual. Is that because we are bad at keeping our promises? We uh, we are vow bra- makers and breakers. Like, like, how do you or is it just because we have lots of lawyers now and they need work? I think it's the latter. And I think that tort laws have been distorted. And uh, lawyers have created uh, lots of avenues for them to, um, within the judicial system, to make a lot of money and create need and demand for their services where I don't think it existed. You know, you go back 50, 70 years, the the need for lawyers uh, was not that great. Or maybe not quite so many lawyers. Yeah. Okay, so and that that's not a slam on lawyers. And even if you texted me right now, I wouldn't get it because I don't have any power. So <clears throat> there you go. Um, all right. So because there's lawyers listening who now uh, their feelings are hurt. So I didn't I had to take that back. Talk about um, Saul's vow. Right. Saul obviously broke his vow. Right? He broke his he, vow. Yeah. And and then what do we learn not only from that, but like sort of on David's side of it? What do we learn? Well, David, I think, might have been a little naive here and Jonathan, too, quite frankly, because Saul has already tried to kill David a couple of times. Now he makes the vow that he won't try to kill him. And so Jonathan brings David back to Saul. I think both of them are being a little naive here because, again, a vow is only as good as the character of the one who is making it. And so when you look at Saul... just in context, you got to know that Saul's not a guy who's going to keep his vows. He, he's just not. And so uh, to me, they're a little bit naive. Um, but it would be nice if we didn't even have to make vows, right? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just say my yes is my yes and my no is my no, the Matthew 5 thing? Um, or is that Matthew 6? Anyways, um, Yes, my yes is yes, and my no is no, and my word is my word, and if I give you my word, I'm going to fulfill it, even if I get injured in the process, right? It seems to me that that's what we're really after when we're when we're creating vows. So, you know, when you start talking about my word is my vow, and you start um, referencing, you know, Jesus saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no, there's no reason for you to, um, you know, make an oath or swear by, uh, you know, by heaven above or by the footstool of God, like, right, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, As Christians, when we say my word is my bond or my word is my vow, we're not just talking about our word. We're talking about the one who is the word in whom we abide, uh, live and move and find our being. And so for Christians, the testimony um, is born against Christ himself if we make a vow and then break it. Oh, I agree. I mean, that's the character, right? It's the character of Christ that is maligned if, as Christians, we take and then break vows. Yes, especially if you're wearing your Christianity on your sleeve in business. Now, some people don't. uh, But if you're wearing it on your sleeve in business and then you're going around breaking your word, all that does is drag the name of Christ through the mud. Well, and if you're a Christian and you're not wearing uh, your Christianity on your sleeve— um, like you're, you're not, people don't know that you're a Christian. You're out there in business, but people don't know that you're a Christian. Then, then I have to like ask the question, like, well, then who are you or what are you? Cause I don't, my Christianity isn't something that I can take on and put off. It's not a put on, right? It's who I am. It's, it's, uh, you can't skin me. I, I can't, I can't get it back off. So it's not like I could operate in, in business in one way. Um, and then in the rest of my life as a Christian, like that's not legit. You know, I, I 
I'm gonna, I might disagree with you a little bit on that one. It's there are meetings that I go into where I don't tell people I'm a Christian. I don't use the Lord's name uh, to say, you know, well, if God wills this, we're going to do this or that. It, it's right, just, right, right. Yeah. You know, I guess, I, I so I guess I that's what you and I are talking about different things. Yeah. Well, but it's who you are. It is. It is. It You're doesn't always operating me. out of right, 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 right. I think that maybe that was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So but, I'm, I'm tracking with you. But, you know, there's there's one thing I've I've to to tangentialize here for just a moment. Um, this whole marriage debate about gay marriage and, and Christian marriage and so forth and so on. I would like to see the government just get out of the marriage business or even if they don't just have the church move away from having state sanctioned marriages. Seems to me that when two people stand before a God and, and a pastor and vow to love each other for the rest of their lives, that those vows are so much stronger and so much more binding than any legal document you can sign in the state of Minnesota or any other state in our fine union, that um, why would we care if we're actually legally married? Because once you're married before God, if your yes is yes and your no is no, that's the binding part to me, the, the, the state part of the, of the marriage, I have come to believe, is just inconsequential. And so I'm, I'm just going to toss that out there because I it, it just seems to me that, that the church need not uh, deal with the, the legal aspects of marriage. Okay, so that, that is another topic for another day. That is actually soil that I have tilled a lot in, oh, have my, you? Uh, in my professional experience. Yes, and oh. it goes – this conversation actually goes um, pretty deep um, because here's, here's by the biblical definition, you take a woman into your tent, you're married to her. Oh, yeah. So, so in our culture, when we start talking about what you're now talking about, Every person with whom an individual has ever had sexual intercourse, that is a person to whom they are married in the eyes of God. And so we talk about polygamy or polyamory. We got people in our culture who are polyamorous and therefore, by God's view, polygamous. And that is right. Like you start talking about that, you are getting into really interesting um, territory in terms of the conversations of the day. So you and I have to leave it right there with that provocative thought. <laughs> um, and because uh, because we got Breakpoint up next, and I'm sure Don John Stone Street has some uh, equally provocative things to say. Bill English, thanks for being with us. People can check out what we're talking about together at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. 